Hello, welcome to F is for Feminism, a podcast where we're going to explore some women's history, some women's rights issues, and we are going to normalize the stigma around feminism. So real quick background, I'm Brittany. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, a couple different states in the Midwest, but always in the Midwest. Um, and I grew up in a very conservative family. This region is called the Bible Belt. Um, and I really think when you grow up in this area and you hear the word feminism, there is a nasty stigma to it. And I want that gone because it took me a lot of years to get over the shame that I felt when I would relate to something I saw online that had to do with feminism um, because, ooh, that's a dirty word. <laughs> um, that's like the second worst F word that you can say at my grandparents' house. But it's not. Once I really started learning about it, it's not the stigma that it seems to have at all. So that's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to jump in. So the letter of the week this week is the letter F. I know I'm starting like a couple letters in, but you can't have a podcast about feminism and about normalizing the stigma on feminism if you don't first start by defining feminism. So here we go. Feminism is defined as the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes. If you pull out your little Google machines, whether that's your laptop, iPad, phone, whatever it be, or if you're old school and you whip out your Webster Dictionary, it will say that it's the theory of the political, economic, and social equality of the sexes. That's it. That's what feminism is at its heart. So obviously you're going to have different um, styles of feminism and we're going to talk about that. But feminism at its heart is the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of equality of sexes. So if you think men and women should have the same basic human rights, guess what? You're a feminist. Congratulations. Welcome to the world. Um, okay, so we're going to go over kind of a background of feminism um, and just get a little more information on that and figure out kind of where the um, stigma and separation started and just talk a little bit of the basics of feminism itself today, okay? Um, so... Feminism historically has come in what they call waves. Um, it's not, people don't love talking about feminism in waves because then it makes it seem more like a fad or a trend. And that's not what it is. It gets treated as that sometimes and by some people, um, but it's not. But there are different events in history that have happened that have sparked massive movements in the feminism community. So we're going to go through the waves theory right now, knowing that there are probably better ways to describe it. But time-wise, um, as far as time period-wise, this really kind of sets the scene. 
So in the first wave that started in 1848 and lasted to 1920, we call these women the suffragettes. Um, this is the first wave, but it's obviously far from the first time that someone sat up and they're like, now wait a second, are women human beings as well? And should they be treated as such? Um, and far from the first time or the last time that someone replied to that and said, mm, no. So, <laughs> but this is when, in the West anyway, um, we had our first political movement in America that had to do with feminism. Um, so these women were out there fighting for political equality. This fight was centered on the right to vote. So these women are out there saying, this, these issues affect our lives these men that are representing us affect our lives as well as our husbands. My husband's opinion doesn't necessarily represent my opinion. And I should be able to vote. I should get to go vote for who I want to represent me. So <clears throat> obviously these women are out here hustling. And they were made fun of. Their families ostracized them. They constantly faced ridicule. There is a long history of physical violence. Literally all because they're standing up and saying, I have every reason and right to vote as any man standing around me does. And you're going to give me this. And society at that point in time had the audacity to look at these women and say, no, you don't. Um, I just want to remind you real quick. That this ended in 1920. It's 2020 now. So a hundred years ago, society is looking at a group of women who want to go vote. And they're saying, no, you're freaking crazy for wanting to do that. Because you're a woman. And you don't have the brains in that tiny little pretty head to figure out who you want to go vote for. Like, a hundred years ago. <laughs> That's insane. Um... They also were fighting for equality in education, employment, and the right to own land. Again, the right to own land. These things, it just blows my mind. I think it's, <clears throat> we take it for granted that we can do these things now. Um, it blows my mind to think that at one point, a hundred years ago, they were out here fighting for that. That's insane. To me, I just, it's so sad. Um, and the reproductive rights fight also made its way into this wave. We'll see it throughout the waves too. Um, in 1920, 72 years into this fight, the 19th Amendment was passed and the women were finally given the right to vote. So for 72 years, they fought for this and finally they said, all right, fine, here you go. Okay. Um, the second wave really started in 1963 and lasted till 1980. In 63, Betty Friedan put out a book that would um, reignite the feminist movement and the interest in feminism itself. She wrote a book called The Feminine Mystique, and it came out and basically said, hey, if you're not satisfied or happy being a housewife, you aren't broken, you're not sick in the head, it's totally okay to want another option. Um, one of her quotes that she says that I love is, I thought something was wrong with me because I didn't have an orgasm every time I mopped the floor. Um, 
Because at that time, that really was kind of the expectation. The wave also brought with it the Equal Pay Act, a series of major Supreme Court cases giving women, married or unmarried, the right to use birth control. They had to fight to be able to use birth control. So I just, are you kidding? Um, also, the infamous Roe versus Wade case of 73 gave us reproductive freedom. So the Roe versus Wade case of 73 was um, around abortion. And we'll cover it more later. A lot of these things I'll cover in different episodes a little more in depth so we can really learn about them. But today I just want to get kind of the way feminism has moved through our history in as a whole. So I don't really want to spend too much time centered on one thing. Um, More of the fight included getting to own credit cards in our names and not our husbands. It outlawed marital rape. Okay, again, 73, outlawing marital rape. Why was that? I'm speechless right now. Um, And I have notes written down that I'm supposed to carry on reading. But my gosh, that is not that long ago. And we're just saying, hey, you know what? Maybe it's not okay that just because you're married to someone, uh, they hold you down and force you to have sex with them. I just, come on. Um, It raised awareness on domestic abuse. Shelters were built for women fleeing these situations. Um, Another hallmark of this movement was changing society's view of a woman and what we were supposed to be. Um, They, these feminists really focused in on we are not decorative pieces in a home. We are not a trophy sitting on a man's shelf. We're not a hunt. We're not a look what I just went and bagged. Um, we're human beings with brains. Uh, you don't have to domesticate us. We're not wild animals. We're fine the way we are. The wave also sparked the myth of the radical bra-burning, man-hating feminist. So this is where that view of a feminist really came into play. And unfortunately, that has been the view that has really stuck around, um, the man if you're a feminist you are a man hater and it's just that's just not true you can't hate men if you're a feminist because feminism is about equality so that kind of contradicts itself um but the bra burning which i know we've all heard about the bra burning feminists uh There's no mass bra burning that was recorded anyway. If any of you have grandparents who are like, no, I definitely got together and burned my bra, um, then let me know because that's cool. But there's nothing really that stands to that. There was a protest outside of a Mrs. America pageant, um, but they weren't standing out there all ripping off their bras and lighting them on fire. That just wouldn't be very um, smart because their hand's going to catch on fire. Um, But the part that came from this wave, along with that radical bra burning, that really has given a horrible stigma to to feminism 
has been the rift between a housewife and a, quote, radical feminist. And I really think that in this second wave is where the misunderstanding started and where feminism really became a dirty word. Um, Feminists suddenly were these hairy, no makeup wearing, you know, just ugly man-hating women who looked down on housewives and housewives became this myth of beautiful, done up, perfectly put together women who really enjoyed mopping the floor and they didn't want to choose anything for themselves. And really, that that's not the case for either side. That is a stereotype of both sides. Um, feminism never at its core was about, oh, you can't look pretty. You can look pretty. You can be a housewife if you want to be. But just like you have the right to be a housewife, I have the right to not be. And in the Equal Rights Amendment movement that really took place here in the 70s, um, one of the leaders of that movement on the Stop ERA side, Phyllis Schlafly, again, we'll cover her more later, she was really lobbying against the Equal Rights Amendment. And she was just nasty, hateful about these women who were choosing to go into the workforce and, you know, maybe choosing not to have a marriage. And she was going against everything that these women on the pro-ERA side were fighting for. Meanwhile, she's carrying on a full career of doing this, which goes against what she was trying to stand for. So... Just so much um, miscommunication, and I think we see it even now today in other areas with pretty much anything. You've got far extremes on one side, far extremes on the other, and the hate just kind of boils in between them. So anyway, moving on, because I have a lot to say about that, but we'll talk about it on a different letter. (laughs) So the third wave started in 91, and it's very unclear where it ended. Um... There's a ton of debate right now on what the third wave is or when it started. Most people can agree that it probably started with the Anita Hill case in 91. Um, In 91, Anita Hill testified that a Supreme Court nominee, Clarence Thomas, was sexually harassing her at work. Uh, Regardless of this testimony, he went ahead and made his way to the Supreme Court. It did not stop the avalanche of sexual harassment complaints that followed. And you're probably thinking that that sounds very familiar. And it is. It's very reminiscent of the Harvey Weinstein case that just came out. um, All the Fox News things that just came out a couple years ago. Um, So we're kind of seeing the same patterns repeated. Um, In 92, we entered what was dubbed the woman of the year because 24 women won seats in the House of Representatives and then three more won seats in the House of the Senate. That was more um, than had ever been recorded before. So that's why they call 92 the year of the woman because now we have 27 women in seats uh, on our government. So early in the third wave at least – It really was focused on workplace sexual harassment and working to increase the number of women in power. So 
we've earned the right to go to work and make money, but okay, now that we're here, um, I'm here to work. I'm not here for you to grab my ass, basically. Um, the third wave also really re-embraced the word girl, which sounds kind of flippant, um, but really had gained negative connotation with the second waivers. When you called a female a girl instead of a woman, it became an insult. Um, girl insinuated dumb, and it was disrespectful, and woman carried the weight of being equal to a man. And the third waivers were like, no, I'm a girl because girl sounds very feminine and I am very feminine and I want to be cute and I can be that along with being a feminist. Um, so then we kind of slide into the fourth wave and everyone's kind of been waiting for what's going to happen that's going to kick off this fourth wave. People talk about the fourth wave being monumentally being a force online, really. Um, we have a lot of feminist hashtags and feminist movements using hashtags on social media. Um, the first one, really, that we saw that sparked kind of this fourth wave movement was the hashtag Me Too and the Time's Up movement. It really peaked, okay, wait a minute, there's still feminists out there. They still want to fight for things. Um before these, there was the Emma Solkowitz mattress performance, also called Carry That Weight, where a rape victim at Columbia University committed to carrying her mattress around campus until the university expelled her rapist. Some of the other social media hashtags connected to the fourth wave include hashtag yes all women, which came after the um, Santa Barbara shooting, hashtag stand with Wendy, when Wendy Davis filibustered a Texas abortion law. We've seen the slut walks that started in 2011 as a way to prevent rape and raise rape awareness and basically saying, you know, just because you think I dress like a quote slut and my butt cheeks are out of my shorts and I'm wearing a crop top, it doesn't give you the right to rape me. And we really have started holding very powerful men accountable for their behavior. And that has all been a big movement now, finally making these men who sexually assault women, who sexually harass women, who very publicly look down on women, um, pay for that. And rape culture has really started to come to light. And I'm that I'm very proud of that in the fourth wave movement. Or the criminal charges for rape just in the last, you know, 50 years have really escalated. They are still not where they need to be, but they have increased dramatically from where they were. You know, in the 70s, it was, well, okay, you got raped. So, well, what were you doing? And now that, it's still there, definitely, but it's going away and... Really, I think it's important to know that if it wasn't for these feminists, if it wasn't for these women, that wouldn't be the case. We would still be in that same place. If it wasn't for a feminist, we would not have the right to vote. If it wasn't for a feminist, your credit card with your name on it, that you wouldn't have it. I really, really think that understanding where we are, appreciating where we are, it all starts with understanding where we're from. And you can't understand where we're from if you're scared to understand it. If you're scared 
to be labeled. Um, like I said, feminism in this area, the Midwest especially, has always kind of been a dirty word. And we have got to take that off the table. We have got to take the dirtiness out of the word. We will talk about, you know, different women later on who have had important roles in women's history. We will talk about both sides of the spectrum, you know, the women who are super against feminism and the super radicals of feminism and everything in between. Like I said, if you believe in equality for men and women, you're a feminist. Uh, and I can't wait to talk more about it with you guys and learn together. Just learn about our history and learn where we can go and really take power back in knowing that look at what we've accomplished. What else can we do? And mostly, I just really can't wait to make you all feminists.